honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I wanna give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. So what I know is that dyslexia in and of itself is difficult enough. What I want Chester, the young man I met, to explain to you the way he explained it to me was what else it affects. Chester has a goal with this because, like I said, I could tell there was a fire underneath what he was doing. And when I asked him what was the purpose behind the purpose, he wants to help kids with dyslexia. And when pressed, he talked about his own experience to me. And I had to have him on the show because, A, I began to understand more about dyslexia and more about what dyslexia does to a child. Second, it set me on a little quest to, to really understand what was going on. How, how does a person get it? Uh, do they grow out of it? Can you, can you cure yourself of it as a child? But I want Chester to tell you in his own words because uh, he grew up with it. And he spoke very, very highly of his mentor, the, the person who tutored him. So I want you to hear his own words and his own experience. So if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a clinician who's never experienced dyslexia like I haven't, listen to someone who has and what life is like. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. My guest today is Chester. Hi, Aaron. Chester, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to understanding this um, from your perspective. I really walked away from you and I meeting for the first time going, that dude's on to something. And I want parents to hear you. Well, thanks. I appreciate you having me on the show. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Great. All right. Let's start from the beginning. Um, how did, how, did, how did your parents find out? What was it like? When did you know? Start, start at the top. I think I had a pretty normal experience as far as dyslexia goes. I started noticing that I was having delays reading. It was pretty obvious for me that what my peers could do pretty normally, I was struggling with. I mean, in first grade, I remember there was this book about like rock soup. It was like some silly kid's book. and Stone soup. Stone soup. It was a silly book and I could barely read the first couple pages. I mean, it was like every couple weeks I might get a new half page read. 
Um, and my peers were all progressing in the new books and like able to spell. I was not. And that was when I realized there was something different, but it took my parents, I guess, until the end of third grade to actually get me tested. And then we got an official diagnosis where I found out I was dyslexic and had some slight ADD. And that was kind of the moment where, you know, I understood that I was different. Do you remember what the test was like when you got tested for dyslexia? Yeah. Um, so I did it at DU and it was just a lot of weird um, phonological testing and reading and writing kind of basic stuff when you're, when you're young though, what I remember most was the fact that they had a two way mirror and you could see that the light from a camera behind it. And I knew I was being recorded and I knew somebody could be sitting in that room. And that was what really stuck, stuck with me was that there's somebody watching me and I knew it was being, I was being watched and that I was being recorded and tested because I was there to, being tested to see if I had some sort of cognitive delay and you know it wasn't so much about the testing it was all about the being watched part and that same sort of anxiety you get when you first realize you're reading slowly um, you know because you're worried about your performance so kind of just regular test anxiety I would say right did you did did they ever say you write a word now I'm going to write a word. Can you see that they're different? Like, like, I guess what I'm saying is, did you know you were spelling things wrong or reading things wrong? Or it was this one of those things that you know, something's going on, but you can't define it. I would say early on, uh, I did not know. And I, I say that from my experience because I have a few things that I hand wrote and it's terrible. It's just, I, I can read it now, but it's, it's a struggle. But I know then I was writing it and I thought I was writing because the right way or a big thing I did when I was younger was I would do a reversal with W and S and the word was and saw. So I'd be writing was when I was meaning to write saw. I do that all the time. But at the time, I had no idea that I was making that reversal. I don't think I started realizing I was flipping things around until I was probably in eighth grade, maybe seventh grade. Did you experience frustration from teachers? You know, did they, were, were you being educated in a place where they were compassionate and understanding? Or were you being educated in a place and time where like, kid, what's your problem? Right. So I think I got really lucky. Um, I had a lot of parental support. I actually jumped around between three elementary schools when I was younger uh, because of that sort of issue. A lot of the pushback ended up coming, falling on my parents. And, you know, everybody knew I was a bright kid, but I definitely struggled with reading and writing. Um, had some focus problems because of my ADD. And, you know, teachers didn't want to deal with that. I didn't really feel it too much, but that's why I ended up moving schools until my parents found the right fit. And I got lucky. I had a lot of very supportive teachers after, you know, well, I should say fourth grade through 12th grade. Um, my parents did a really good job of advocating for me, making sure I had a 
uh, IEP set up, uh, my 504 was set up, so I got extra time. All of those things were set in place for me. And so I did get a lot of support where I actually noticed kind of what you're talking about was outside of school. Um, when I was playing soccer growing up, I had a coach who always harped on me for not paying attention, which wasn't the case. I just struggled with processing what a drill was or what the rules were for a specific game we were doing. And it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention. It was that I wasn't able to remember and piece together all of the individual parts of what a drill was. And so I'd have to ask him three or four times. And, you know, after a while, it cost me my spot on that team. And, you know, which that's just kind of what it's like to be dyslexic. You know, I, I got lucky. I didn't face what you're talking about in school. And if I had, I'm sure I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you today. I mean, the crazy thing is the dropout rates for kids with dyslexia in high school is like 30% of dyslexic kids drop out of high school. Holy moly. Right. And then 50% of all kids who are in kind of the program that I work in, you know, help well, sort of, but kids who are in um, treatment for alcohol or drug abuse, 50% of those kids have dyslexia and probably ADD. And then, you know, I think I told you this when we first met, it's between 60 and 70% of all kids in the youth correctional system have dyslexia or ADD. It's just, and that, I mean, you talk about systemic problems. If you have a teacher, like you said, who doesn't want to deal with you or thinks you're a problem, of course, with all the social pressure, you're going to turn away from trying hard in school. And it's going to lead you to groups that have low requirements to enter into their groups. Right. Kind of like gangs or burnout kids who, you know, not, not that I have a problem with those kids. I've worked with those kids and I see that they face problems, but you know, we're turning dyslexic individuals to those groups and setting them up for failure. So you said earlier, you said that you were a bright kid. And my question is how does a child and how does a parent know that a kid is bright when something as fundamental as reading and writing is not developing? Um, because when you talked about, you know, I was a bright kid, that sounds reassuring that, that, a, that a, you know, a child who's 11, a child who's 13 can look in the mirror and say, listen, you're smart. You just got this, this, this one thing that just happens to be kind of a big deal at school, but you're okay. And that's expecting a lot of a child. So how did you know that you were bright and how did your parents know that you were bright? I think I knew because I had a lot of very grown up conversations when I was younger. Um, until I was 10, I was an only child. So a lot of my social interactions were with my parents at um, more professional sort of events. And I was able to have conversations with people who were my parents age and able to communicate, able to like form ideas that people found interesting and i think having the sort of setbacks i did in school i had to latch on to what i knew i was good at because if i didn't i would have been probably clinically depressed because kind of what you're talking about is the standard of success in school is all based around reading i mean you take standardized testing um in my case i was i was predicted to score in 
the top 10 percentile on the ACT because of my test scores on the pre-ACT that you take the year before. Right. Um, and then I went and took the actual ACT and I scored, you know, I scored terribly. And it was because <laughs> I hadn't been retested in a certain time period to actually qualify for extra time on the test. But then also all of the sections that I was predicted to do the best on, I did the worst on because they were the most heavily concentrated in reading, which is crazy. I mean, the science section was all just like a page and a half long of three different questions. You had to read these papers and then formulate answers. And I couldn't read them fast enough. I ran out of time. Let me, let me go back to comic books for a second, um, because I'm going to try to attribute everything in my life to comic books and, and the hero's journey, which is truly what I love about that. One of the things that we find is that when a hero lacks one ability, the, the compensatory ability becomes extreme. Daredevil is blind, but, you know, his, his extrasensory perception and his, you know, internal radar and his fighting skills and his acrobatic skills um, was being able to have verbal conversations. Uh, was that your compensatory action? Were you really good at math? Were sports your thing? It seems, again, people could rely on you for something which allowed you to have and again, we haven't talked about your your peer-to-peer -peer social interaction. We're action. We're still just talking about your adult interaction. Yeah. So adults seem to regard you as a clever kid. Why? Well, you you, you said you could do conversations. Was that it? Were you also good at math? I would say it was most of the conversations. Okay. Uh, I wasn't. I never really excelled at math. I was good at it i understand the concepts um but again same as with language i have a problem processing it and storing it all in long-term memory so i wouldn't say it was math i would definitely say my conversation my conversations with adults and the effect the my ability to communicate complex ideas which is pretty typical for dyslexic people i actually um Prior to this interview, I was looking up this guy who I had heard on TED Talks. His, his name is Dean, uh, I can't even say his last name, I'll just spell it. It's B-R-A-G-O-N-I-E-R. -E he talks about this idea that dyslexic kids or individuals have this ability to connect, as he says it, disparate ideas and bring them together to form one idea that most people can't connect. And I think that was what I really cultivated at a young age was that ability to take those seemingly unrelated ideas and then bring them together into an idea. That's interesting because you have two things that you've talked about, which is ADD, which isn't allowing, you know, the, 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 uh, the neurotransmitters are not, you know, the receptors and the neurotransmitters, they're not cooperating with each other. So the ability to, uh, to focus down and pay attention to one thing is hijacked. And then the second thing is that your, your brain's moving letters around so that it's difficult to, to read words. But your ability to take things and put them together to be able to, 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 like you said, take unrelated things and, and move them into one place. Um, it seems very contrary to each other, those skills. Right. Well, yes and no. 
Um, the ADD that I have is very mild, but typically with ADD, you see a lack of ability to focus on the right thing, less, less so of just like the scatterbrained chaos that you would expect from a kid who's just had a whole bunch of sugar. Um, but that lack of ability to focus can sometimes also manifest itself in the ability to just hyper-focus. So there are like these, it's kind of like, uh, like a dichotomy of self in a way. Like right. sometimes you can't focus, then sometimes you're just way locked into your zone and you are hyper-focused. Hmm. And so when you have that like mixture of thought and your ability to think about multiple things, I think it really plays to itself to really pull all these separate things into one coherent idea. Let's break down some of the things that we, we've come to understand and that you've come to, to understand, researching it, uh, dealing with it, and uh, you know, working towards tutoring others with it. So it's still relatively a new concept. It was, it was determined that in 1968, that this is a disorder for children who, despite conventional classroom experience, failed to attain the language skills of reading, writing, and spelling, commensurate with their intellectual abilities. So that's what was that's how it was defined in '68. Um, and then we're we're showing the International Dyslexia Association saying dyslexia is a specific learning disability that is neurobiological in origin. It's characterized by difficulties with accurate and or fluent word recognition and by poor spelling and decoding abilities. These difficulties typically result from a deficit in the phonological component of language. It's often unexpected in relation to other cognitive abilities and the provision of effective classroom instruction. So the only thing I'm able to gather out of that statement, which has a little bit of the psychological jargon in it, just enough to confuse a layman, is that A, this is a neurological thing, B, it's a biological thing, so it tends to have a hereditary chain attached to it, C, it is out of sync with a child's intellectual ability. Everything else can look normal or above board. And then they got this hammer that's come in from, from left field that's, that's taken them out. What else can you add to, to this? I mean, that's like the, one of the best psychological definitions. I really like the, uh, what is it, the IDA? I, I can't remember. I know the last definition you read. The, the International Dyslexia Association, IDA. Yeah, they, I love their definition of it, um, really hitting on the phonological part. That's really what dyslexia is. I, you know, it's not something that holds you back in every part of your life. Um, it's just a reading and language comprehension thing. I think. How, do pe how do people who don't get help, um, what's the word I'm looking for? How do people who don't get help with their dyslexia um, get through life? Well, so right. And then that's one of those things. Again, it is just a phonological thing, but it carries with it all this guilt or anxiety around the fact that you're not reading and you're not attaining in school, right. which has all kinds of effects. Um, it's not, 
you know, I don't think it comes as a surprise that if you're not doing well in school, you're probably not doing well in other areas because you, when you're young, that's like your one job is to be in school. And when you, when you can't read or you don't write well, you're not doing well at school. Um, everything that we use as a medium to teach comes in text form. We haven't sort of moved away from the printing press, you know, which is a hundred years old, more than a hundred years old. It's just, we have, you and I are communicating via the internet, but still, if I go back and get my master's, I'm going to have to read a book. Right. I think that's the problem is that our society still uses reading and writing as a standard to judge um, intelligence, but that just locks out, you know, 20% of our population because they're dyslexic. Do, do we feel like we can keep kids up to speed with, with video watching? Like, like you talked about a Ted talk. Um, lots of people love Ted talks. I mean, you know, when it first came out, people were like, well, this is a good thing right. now. Holy crap. Everybody's got a Ted talk. Everybody's watched a Ted talk. Um, and certainly with the library of Alexandria in our laps and our cell phones, you can watch a video an instructional thing on pretty much anything. Um, does that help? And do you find yourself um, relying on that even to this day? Yeah. So I don't, I don't read a lot for pleasure um, period. So obviously I'm not going to read scholarly articles. Is that because it's still not pleasurable? Is that because it reminds you of childhood? Is that because you still struggle with dyslexia? It's because I struggle with reading. I'm slow at it and, uh, trying to like have that work-life balance yeah sure you know yes if i'm reading something and it's academic it's not work but it feels like work sure so i'd much rather watch something or listen to something trevor noah has his new book um and my girlfriend got it on audio tape it's a great book Boy, i would have read it if it wasn't on audio tape i never would have read it because it just would take me too long and born a crime yeah, Born a Crime. Yeah. It's a great book. It's awesome. Fantastic book. But yeah, I, uh, you know, you, you also asked earlier about, like, what do you do if you don't get help? Uh, yeah. And I fought, I fought tooth and nail to not have tutoring. It made me feel like an other. You know, none of my friends were in tutoring. Uh, it was a weird, weird thing to do, a wasted time. It sometimes got in the way of soccer or I got in the way of social things. And the one thing I wanted to do to compensate for my lack of success in school was to be successful socially. And then I had to do tutoring, which took up a couple hours a week and got in the way. So I hated it. And it just made me, and again, most of my peers didn't have a tutor, especially in high school. Right. A tutor. So I just, I felt dumb. And that was the thing that really pushed me away from it. And I think like, if you're not getting help, you need to be reading. I know, and I know this sounds crazy. I just said, I don't read, but when I am the most successful is when I'm reading regularly because it's just enforcing the rules that I struggle with because I'm just doing it. 
So let's talk about the social thing now, because I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you and you and I have talked, you and I have talked about it. You and I both work with kids who struggle socially because they struggle with a environmental or a neurological disorder. Right. Um, for parents who are listening, when we say an environmental disorder, we're talking about the kid's environment, um, a family issue, a tra trauma issue, something like that. So I'm, I'm curious as to how, um, how dyslexia affects a child socially. How did it affect you socially? Here's why I'm curious. It seems that nowadays um, kids are mainly watching you know, videos and uh, Snapchatting and Instagramming. Is a social interaction when we're not next to each other is media and visually uh, focused. When we're together, we're playing video games, we're, we're hanging out and talking, we're skateboarding. We're not generally sitting down reading a book next to each other, which makes me either have to fake it or um, struggle with the one page while they're flipping pages. So how does it affect socially? That's a great question. Um, I do think it all starts again in that sort of first grade year when you're first introduced to reading, you you start to notice the differences between each other. I mean, it's one of the cruelest things about being in elementary school is that kids are picking on you because you're different. And when you're dyslexic, you realize that you read slower and your peers realize that you read slower. Um, and then you realize that kids that you're just as smart as might be in the smarter class and you're definitely in the slower class. And how do you know that? because they're already doing multiplication and you're still doing addition and subtraction. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things, like it might not seem like something that's a big deal, but it definitely happens. And there's a realization when you're young that you are different. And so that, that just is the underlying reality. You know, there's this sort of understanding that you're not as good. And then when you're in school, you start, you start to have standardized testing and those, you know, again, more reading that's going to evaluate your level of intelligence. And obviously you don't do well on, on it. And again, you notice that you're not finishing in time or you're finishing way behind everybody else. So you start to develop this belief that you're failing and you you only get to know this failure in the one area that you're expected to perform in. And so, and so do your peers. I mean, your peers will call you things like, oh, you're, you're the idiot who can't read. Um, or say something like, you know, oh, that guy, he writes P cause, not B cause, you know, because you flip your B's and your P's. Um, and you'll hear that. You just, you'll hear it. And then if you're like me, you get the diagnosis when you're in third grade and everybody wants to ask you a question about like, read this word. And they wrote, something backwards and it's like that's not how this works i don't i don't know what that is um i read it the same way you do it's just you know i don't read as well as you it's it's interesting because as i was doing my research i came across something called the dyslexia font and oh. it's something you can plug into the computer and i wanted to look at it but what dawned on me as i was curious about it because what I wanted to understand is how is it that you see letters? How is it that you read something when something goes around? And the dyslexia font obviously is a static idea. 
you know, you said it's P's and B's and the W and the S, which means it's not necessarily the letter that looks alike. And it's not necessarily putting the last letter in front of the first letter and reversing it. Then, so I'm like, all right. So I, I didn't look at it. I, I walked away. I felt like, okay, well, that's just trying to box up something that you don't understand so that you can understand it when really we're talking about an individual problem. And then I come to find that there's different types of dyslexia. Oh, absolutely. So break that down a little bit. What was it like for you? You said P's and B's, the W and S, but that was in the front and the back. Right. What was it that just specific word? And is this word based? Is this letter based? Is this just? I would say it was both for me. Um, and when we talked about like the reversal with the W and the S in was and saw. That wasn't necessarily a reversal about the whole word being switched. That was specifically the two vowels out, or yeah, the two consonants on the either side of the vowel, those were being switched. So another example, not that I did this, but like to play it out to the most extreme degree would be like switching in the word apple, the E and the A. Okay. That's like that kind of reversal or misplacing like switching the L and the P, the P's, sorry. So like, I'll, I don't even know how to say that. A-L-P-P-E, you know? Gotcha. Like, something like that. Um, and does it do it the same every time? So every time you look at the, the letter or the word Apple, you're seeing the same thing. So once you know that what you're seeing is the word Apple, you start to identify that as Apple. Right. So, I mean, the one thing, like back to my experience, right? Yes. Like you have the same, I had the same sort of reoccurring mistakes and when you, it's easy to recognize them, but at the same time, because you do them so readily, it is kind of difficult to notice when you make a reversal. For me, a big one when I'm handwriting, even still is B and P. Um, and it used to be D, like D, B, and P. I would mix those three up all the time. And when you're writing it, no, you don't initially notice it until you're sitting there thinking about how am I writing. And so it actually caused me to think of the word, write the word, but also read the word at the same time, which is silly because most of the time I'm not turning in something that I'm handwriting anymore. Right. But I'm still doing it. I mean, uh, which has actually helped me when I type. If I mistype something, I'll, I'll notice it right away. But then I think my ADD causes me to go back and edit it right away. <laughs> Just like making a mistake and typing. So like my typing speed is probably pretty average. I would say my keystrokes though are probably above average because I'm backspacing and then retyping and then messing that up and then going back and retyping. And so instead of just like, typing the whole thing, having a pretty fast uh, word per minute average, you know, I'm slowing myself down. Which is where I, you know, I think you've had to, you've got a fast word per average, but you, you, you've typed the same word three, four times. Right. Well, you know, but that slows down the words. Of course. Minute, I'm not actually like hitting the space bar. So like I said, my keystrokes are probably like, the roof. But as far as actual words being produced, it's very slow. So does autocorrect become a, a support for you or do you get to the end of the sentence and look back and just be like, oh, Christ, this, this is ridiculous. How, is, how does it feel? Um, so, you're, so you brought up the dyslexic font, which yeah. um, 
is just an assistive tool. And I think just like you spell check, it's an assistive tool. But the problem with spell check is it's meant for people who don't have dyslexia. Gotcha. Um, now there is a spell check for dyslexic people. But again, you're asking me about my experience. Right. Everybody manifests dyslexia differently. I mean, my form of dyslexia is not the most severe form. And even somebody who has the most severe form might not have any of the same sort of reversals that I have. And do you have phonological dyslexia? Yeah, I would, I mean, it's been a while since I've really thought of it in terms of that, but yeah, I, I definitely struggled with pronouncing things, sounding things out. All of that was a struggle for me. I've got a lot better. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate. I grew up in a bilingual household, so I grew up speaking Spanish and English and that really helped me, I think. Sort really? Of understand. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's actually from Mexico. Um, and that definitely helped me figure out how to process language and how to read it. And I mean, believe it or not, I took one of my favorite classes in college was linguistics. I did terrible at it, but <laughs> that's fantastic. But yeah, uh, using those assistive tools is very helpful. And I would recommend that if you have or know someone with dyslexia, tell them to use technology. I mean, there's LightScribe, I think is what it's called. It's like a pen that records like a lecture and will transcribe that onto your computer so you can see all your notes on your computer. Now, if you pair that with the dyslexic font, you're not going to have as much trouble actually reading it. Um, and then they also have a notebook that if you write, it'll transcribe your written things in onto the computer. Now that I could see being a problem. I never actually used it, but I could see that being a problem. You know, if you're writing incorrectly and that just gets transcribed, you're going to be like, well, what was I trying to write? Which is what happened to me all throughout college. It's like, Oh, look at these notes. Okay. That's half a page. I can't read. Great. Um, Before we get into what you want to do and, and what you have as support for parents, I want to, I want to understand a little bit. I'm looking at a small list here that these are the more widely mentioned types of dyslexia. There's phonological, there's surface dyslexia, rapid naming dis- deficit, uh, double de- deficit dyslexia, visual dyslexia. Um, so this is not, there's not one standard type that everybody, so we can kind of blanket cure this thing or, or attack this thing. Right. And I think the important thing to remember when you're talking about dyslexia is that even though there are different things and you're right, there isn't like one blanket thing that helps it. It's important to get reoccurring meaningful help because when you're struggling with it, no matter how hard you try, you're going to need someone to guide you or something. Um, Me as an individual who avoided help. I know that that just compounded my struggles and and recognize that I should have asked for more help because even though I might not have the same dyslexia as somebody else, I can guarantee that if somebody else who has a different form of dyslexia or is manifesting itself differently for them, they will benefit from doing 
you know, if it's just like a phonics thing, you know, which I hated, but really made me read and comprehend right. better. If you're doing something like that, something that just helps you and you're doing it over and over, that's the practice that your brain needs. And I know it sucks. It can, it's a, it feels like a waste of time. It's not. That's the, that would be my message is to seek the help and continue to get it. Now, you were born with this, but I'm saying that uh, you can actually develop um, you can, you, you can get developmental dyslexia. Um, and it, obviously it's associated with abnormalities in the parts of the brain responsible for the visual. Okay. So I don't know if that can come through, you know, a head trauma or, um, you know, a, a, a developmental deficiency, but I guess more importantly than where you got it, um, can you cure it? Does it go away? Do you grow out of it? Right. So, I mean, the scientific answer is no, but I would say you learn to live with it. You learn to use it. And, you know, I've, I've been out of school for a couple of years now. I'm probably reading a little slower than I was, but I got through college. And, you know, most kids with dyslexia don't even go to, well, I mean, 30% drop out of high school, but most of them don't even go to college because it's difficult. And the one thing I would say is that regardless of what you choose to do, you find ways around it. Some people find it more difficult. I mean, there are people who can't take tests to move up professionally because they just don't read and write well enough. Um, but in general, I would say growing, you know, the growing out of it is more about learning your skills and playing to those skills and building on those skills and being comfortable with who you are. Do, are you comfortable enough with who you are and what you uh, deal with with dyslexia that you tell your bosses that you have it? And that, you know, is it, and then I guess to the end of that, is it a disability that a, an employer needs to provide extra resources or allow you to get extra resources to learn in advance the same that any other employee could, can. Right. Well, so the Disabilities Act says absolutely they have to. Um, and I think, you know, as a takeaway for parents who are listening to your show, that is something that all, all parents need to be aware of, is that dyslexia is covered under the Disabilities Act, and extra time or whatever you need is explicitly required for employers, schools, whoever to provide you. Um, now, I mean, it takes somebody like being comfortable. I'm comfortable with my dyslexia. I don't have a problem advocating for myself, but I, I wasn't until recently. I, I went through, you know, all of school fighting help, didn't want to take extra time. And then I got to college and I felt like it was almost cheating, which it's not. I mean, the, the problem is, I just need a little extra help and it's not cheating. It's what I need just to be at the same starting point as everybody else. You know, I need to be able to have extra time to write a paper or to finish a test um, or to take a test in a separate room. And those are all things or have a note taker. A note taker I should have absolutely had. I mean, I just told you sometimes I couldn't even read my own notes. Um, 
And when you have dyslexia, sometimes you struggle to just write uh, at the same pace as your teacher is telling you things. Right. So or writing and then erasing on the board. Right. Exactly. You're just, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Slides. I hated slides. <laughs> I can't imagine. PowerPoint presentation. I'd be writing, I'd be a third of the way through the slide and the next slide would be coming up. And so then I'm having, you'd be having to remember all of the things that were on the last slide and read the new slide and listen to the professor. I mean, it was, it was madness, but, but sorry, I got a little off topic. There. No, not at all. And I think, I think Chester, one of the most important things is that you're talking about it from a very, real aspect and and when you just said slides what just struck me is that's something i would have never thought about and then i thought okay if i was working with a kid who has dyslexia and i was going to use a powerpoint or a slide presentation giving them the handout of all the slides is not just a good idea it's a necessity and it it's demonstrating love it's demonstrating support and Quite frankly, it's in line with the Disabilities Act that you right. are providing extra support. Right. And I mean, you know, the one thing I would say about the Disabilities Act is I think you'll find in, you know, elementary school through high school, schools are willing to work with you. Yeah, of course. In college, again, I never used it, but I have, I have a coworker right now who's still in school and she has a professor who literally said, that she wasn't going to do what she needs. And she's already applied through the like resource office at the school. So she's, she's approved for extra time, everything. And her teacher, her professor is telling her she's not going to provide her the basic things that she needs, um, which is a huge violation of the Disabilities Act. It sounds like your coworker could get college for free. <laughs> well, I, I told her, I told her the minute she told me that I was like, you need to go in and you need to tell a Dean. I, I, before I talked to a Dean, I'd walk into the Dean and say, I just want you to know, this is my lawyer's name. And I've already had this conversation with him. Right. Or but her. then there's like that confidence, you know, and I think I, like I said, I was very privileged. I had very supporting parents. Sometimes individuals with dyslexia don't carry that confidence. Um, you know, when your whole story has been people putting you down because of the same thing, when it's just a professor doing the same thing, it's just another day in paradise. And all right, to move away from that. I've been writing down some of the things that I've been hearing you say that I could not leave a show without reminding the without saying to the parents, these are the things that have to happen if you discover that your kid has dyslexia. But before that, <coughs> I want you I want I want you to talk about what you're gonna do with this because that was the part that made me say, I gotta get this guy on my show. So here you are, you're working in a uh, intensive outpatient. So an after school program, uh, three days a week uh, for, for parents of my show who don't know what that is. Um, they're, they're, uh, there's good IOPs out there. There are great staff. These are people who really want to help uh, kids and teenagers. Sometimes kids and teenagers are court ordered into these programs or placed into these programs from uh, adolescent psych units. Um, sometimes they're step down programs from residential care like mine. Um, 
And often insurance companies require that before, as a parent, you look at residential programs, your kid has to have, and this is horrible, failed intensive outpatient. So Chester, you work in one of those. Yeah. And you have a specific role in it? Or, or what, what do you do? So I facilitate it. I do the day in and the day out. I pick kids up, run our group, um, which involves a lot of psychoeducation and life skills. And then I drop, well, we provide a meal and then I drop them off. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. It's okay. a lot of fun. Um, but I do, you were talking about what I want to do. Yeah. I want to eventually create a space or be a part of a space that helps kids with dyslexia and ADD stay on track with going to tutoring. Um, and I'd love to find a place where we, that provides kind of like an all inclusive support network for individuals with dyslexia. So doing diagnostic work, um, providing tutoring, probably speech pathology, some counseling or therapy. And then, you know, definitely I think what's missing right now is sort of a peer mentoring program where an older youth with dyslexia would be supervised, but also mentoring somebody younger um, to really try to enforce that, you know, you can be a cool dyslexic kid and go to tutoring and that it's normal for you to get extra help, that there's nothing wrong with that. I love what you just said, because I, I've got a list here of famous people who've had dyslexia and the ones that they, uh, the ones that they talk about, you know, there's Henry, Henry Winkler, the Fonz, Steven Spielberg, um, Anne Bancroft, the actress, uh, Duncan Goodhue, the Arctic Explorer, uh, Magic Johnson. And then of course, one of my great heroes of all time, Muhammad Ali. Whoa. Hey, yeah, like, there's some new ones at me. That's cool. <laughs> I love I love what you just said that you can be cool and have dyslexia. You right. know that might be the great name for the show. Maybe that's what we're going to call this. <laughs> yeah, being I like cool it. I like with it. dyslexia, or yeah, being cool with dyslexia. Right. Um, I want to work at your program, and what I want to do, and I don't think I'm the right person to, and that's because I'm just learning about this stuff from you, but. You, you said you, you want to have a program that helps people stay on track with continuing their tutoring. It's, you know, so obviously it's tutoring, it's diagnostic, it's speech pathology, there's therapy, there's counseling, there's peer merit mentoring. I would want to be the parent support group where we're asking them once a month to come spend an hour and a half in a room and, and talk about their fears of their kids. And, you know, right. will my kid go to college? Will my kid go to, and have guest speakers who are like, Hey, guess what? I graduated from college and you know, I'm, I'm Muhammad Ali and I'm the, I'm the greatest in the world. And yeah, I got it too. And um, I love, that was the thing we, that you talked about that I really loved. And I, and I can tell you a testing facility that provides diagnostics, speech pathology, counseling, peer mentoring, parent programming, um, you'd have a line out the door. Right. I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people about this. And actually, I think, you know, I've been looking into it more and more. And since we talked, um, you know, I'm trying to take steps to get into just tutoring. Yeah. And I think the problem, though, is that this, this holistic approach I don't think there's a real, I mean, there's a need here, but I don't think there's a real desire as far as like our society goes. I don't think there's any importance placed on 
helping kids with this specific need. Because I think overall, we just overlook mental health in our society. And I mean, the only organization I've found so far that provides what I want to provide is in the UK, which I mean, isn't surprising to me. I mean, their healthcare is better. They, you know, care about reforming their criminals a little bit. Well, I would say in a more effective way than we do. Right. And I mean, again, when 60 to 70% of your youth in the correctional system have dyslexia and most likely ADD also, it, it just goes to show you, I mean, this isn't a racial thing. It's a systemic problem that starts in education. And, you know, I think you're right. Like we need, I think people are going to want to buy into this. I believe that parents who have kids with dyslexia, like my parents would have loved for me to be a part of a holistic program that was going to help me actually be successful in tutoring because tutoring to me, at least I believe, and I know this won't be true for everybody because, you know, I didn't like the tutoring, but tutoring absolutely was the key to my educational success. I think as, as someone who has uh, started about eight businesses, has had four of them be very successful and four of them fail miserably, I can tell you that I think your idea is brilliant. And I think your holistic approach is a necessity. And while the masses um, will look at the idea and may not grok it, um, this approach, your approach, the one-stop shop for a parent whose kid is dealing with dyslexia is going to have a line out your door. It's going to require you to uh, find a place where parents are looking for the holistic. So it might be in a, a little bit more of a liberal hotbed um, and place where education is very important to the adults. So now I'm talking like Boulder, Colorado. I'm talking about, um, you know, again, you're, you're going to start this in a place where people who have gotten the type of support that you've gotten it have, have become successful in their own lives and not only want to give back, but realize that their own children are going to grow from that type of support. Should they discover their children have it? Right. Um, and one of the things that, that we all fall prey to is that we get, we want to be all things to all people. You have a niche market and you got to find them, find out where they have coffee and put your flyers there. You got to find the schools that the parents who can, who are going to look for this type of program where they go. And when you and I get off the air, I'm going to tell you where they are here in Colorado because I'm actually running the parent curriculum at them. So that's one thing you and I are going to do. I also want to say, I heard four things and I want to make sure that you can add anything to it that, uh, that, that you feel is necessary. Four things that a parent who discovers their kid, mom, dad, if you discover your kids got dyslexia, these are the four things that I heard Chester talk about that sound like you have to do. Number one, reoccurring, meaningful tutoring. Uh, Chester, you talked about how that, that, that was how you got through. It's how you found your support. It's how you kept your confidence. So that you have someone who gave a crap about you and showed you how to work with this thing that you got. Is that correct? 
Right. And I mean, I was turned off by tutoring, but the meaningful support I got was from a mentor who pushed me educationally and really got me to understand that I needed to read and keep reading just to be successful. The second thing you said, and, and when it was brought up, I, again, I saw that little fire in your eyes, was learning the Disabilities Act, learning what's accessible to you and really saying, oh, so my kids got this, so I'm, this is what they have available to them. And if you don't know that, then your kid's going to miss out or you're going to miss out if, you, if you're dealing with dyslexia. Right. And I mean, just like in the case of my friend, it's very easily easy to get, to get bullied out of the services they your child not only needs, but is entitled to legally. So that brought up the next thing is that as a parent, that when I heard you, when I heard you talk about this, you know, you're a parent, you read the, the Disabilities Act, you realize that people at the school are trying to bully your kid out of some extra support. This is when you do number three, and that's advocate for your kid. Teach your kid how to advocate for themselves. Go to battle on this with your kid. And that's how our kids are going to learn how to go to battle for themselves is when they see us go to battle for them. Absolutely. As Did your most, parents do that for you? I, absolutely. And I, I can tell you a hundred percent that I am only able to advocate for myself because my mom and dad both did it. Um, you know, they were probably my harshest critics, but they were there when I needed them most every time. And you said you went to three middle schools before you found the right no, elementary schools. Oh, elementary schools. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I was all over the place. That's amazing. <laughs> um, from the beginning of this talk, the thing that drew me to you in the first place was your confidence. And that's the thing that I am saying parents need to know that this is, this is a left hook hammer to somebody's confidence. Do confidence building things with your kids so that they realize, yes, they got this one thing, but it is not the be all end all of who you are. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, getting them involved in other things. Um, people with dyslexia are great at a lot of things. They're creative. They're sometimes they're exceptional at sports. I mean, you said Mike Tyson. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I excelled at soccer. I did great. I took some time off and then ended up like being captain of the club team at CU Denver when it started. And that's kind of like when I realized that I was really good at something. Um, and so just getting them engaged and like you said, making them feel comfortable and successful and whatever it is. I, I don't, I don't think we could come up with a better example of personal confidence than Muhammad Ali. You know, right. he, he called himself the greatest of all time and by golly, he may not have been able to read, but I wouldn't have stepped up on him <laughs> for all the money in the world. Right. Right. Um, and, that, and that's the last thing. It's, it's the thing that I see in you. It's the thing that you spoke to not only in having that mentor who pushed you, but the soccer mentor, the coach who got frustrated with you. The, the final thing I got to say to parents is reiterating how important mentors are for not just a kid dealing with dyslexia, but a kid dealing with life. But in your case, you, you talk about you were good at soccer, you excelled at it, and then a coach came along who didn't have the patience for you and started yeah, and to I mean, come apart. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, I had to switch teams which was, you know, not, not bad. That was like kind of a blessing and a curse. I was on a way better team after that. <laughs> uh, 
you know, it's weird. It's a weird place to be when you're that age. Um, and so, you know, talking about, but I wanted to add a few things. Yeah, please do. Things that parents can do. Um, going back to the coach who didn't understand me. Parents should absolutely understand that, you know, your child is struggling, that you can't just assume that they're acting out. Um, be open to the possibility that they are trying. They are, because I'm telling you, they are trying. Nice. And be understanding when they make mistakes. If that's behavioral or just not reading correctly, um, that if they're at school and they're acting out, it's probably not just them acting out. It's probably something else. I mean, you're, it takes somebody with dyslexia about five times more energy just to read. So you're cognitively burnt out all the time. And like if you're going to get distracted because that's what happens when you focus on something too long, you are more easily distracted. Now, if you're dyslexic, your brain's working so much harder, you're easily distracted. Right. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Like be understanding. And then also we already said be supportive. Uh, one thing that my family did was come up with clear expectations. Was we had our own family contract. I'm not saying do that, but just have clear expectations. Say in these types of situations, this is how we're going to handle it. And everybody needs to like buy into that because then your kid feels supported. Um, and then, you know, understand that this affects your youth outside of school. Absolutely. It's going to be a thing. And, you know, my struggle now, like you talked, we talked about how I'm comfortable talking about it. Now as an adult, I'm finding, you know, the classical, like blame the blame, you're blaming the perpetrator, right? Like we don't, we blame criminals. We don't look at their background. And I'm not saying I'm a criminal or like that I face the same systemic disadvantages at all. That's not what I'm saying. But, um, you know, I have realized that when I talk to people close to me and I say like, these are the things that I'm facing, it's a, you have a chip on your shoulder and you know, to, to a degree I do, I mean, they're not wrong, but at the same time, sometimes I've come to a realization and it's the truth and it's not a chip on my shoulder. Um, so being able to understand that when somebody tells you what they're going through, isn't always an excuse that most of the time it's actually just a real realization that they have helps them be more confident. Inevitably uh, a parent's going to reach out and ask your opinion, your question on something. If they do, what's a good email address to contact you on? If they, they want to talk to you, they want to get coached by you. They want to pay you for some support of their kiddo. Yeah, um, I think the best one to email me would be simmonschest, C-H-E-S-T, at gmail.com. Simmonschest at gmail.com. Yeah, that's my more professional, personal email that I have. Uh -huh. Okay. That Perfect. Yeah, I didn't want numbers. Believe <laughs> <laughs> or not, I probably wouldn't be able to remember the numbers. <laughs> Crazy. Jester, I... The thing, the thing that I like so much about this is, you know, as I was, you know, I want to talk to doctors, I want to talk to, to psychologists and stuff like that, you know, to, to give their advice to parents, but I want parents to hear from someone who got through this because when we're afraid as parents and we start parenting from fear and then the kid starts responding to the parenting, 
you know, that, that compensates for the fear-based parenting. And this begins to spiral and spiral and spiral. But when parents hear someone who has, has dealt with it, who deals with it now, who knows what worked and what didn't work, who's been able to, to you know, go to college and, and have a job helping other people and, and have a mission and a vision moving forward, that's, that's what really helps parents. So thank you for, for coming on and, and being so honest and real about what this has been like for you. Now, thank you. I really appreciate you letting me use your platform to talk about this. Absolutely. Anytime. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Chester, uh, just being so real and so honest. What a great support. I want to thank Dan, my editor, who is uh, working double time. Uh, and we got him uh, breaking back as I'm sending all these shows to him, trying to get a bunch to him before I head out of town for a little while. And then, of course, our boss goddess, Kristen Walker at Mental Health News Radio. Everybody who over there who is so supportive of this show. And uh, uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been such an incredible experience to have this platform. Uh, we're going to keep reaching out to the experts, to the, to the people who've survived, the people who've got through, to support parents, teachers, and clinicians. But to do this work, parents... You know what I'm going to say next? If you've listened to any of my shows, you know what's coming. To do this work, to do this work the right way, the best way with our kids, you have to take care of yourself first. You have to take care of your adult relationship second. You take care of your children third. And I know that feels backwards. It's not. It's the right way. Because when your health is good, and your emotions are good, and your nervous system is regulated, and you've been taking care of your, your adult relationships, your friendships, your marriage, you are in the best place to do your best parenting with your kid who needs your help. My name is Aaron Huey, and I'll see you next week on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com.